Welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Tom Wheeler, Executive Director of EPIC, the Environmental Protection Information Center. And I'm joined by my friends and colleagues, Alicia Heyman. Yes. We did not dispense with it easily. <laughs> you know, it took some real work to get that thing. That's true. That's true. We actually ended up, as, as much as I would like to credit all of our hard work and the inspiring turnout from the community and the way we were able to leverage state and federal elected leaders, really what it came down to was the Coltrane folks not paying enough attention or taking too long of vacations. They they missed a deadline and then complained about it and never never sought to like take the narrow winding path of appealing their their denial and poof, then they they were gone because they made a mistake. So, so we did, we did get pretty lucky. So the, the callback there is that the attorneys for the Coltrane people were, were on vacation. So they submitted their paperwork late and then begged the surface transportation board to just like give them what, what is it called in, in golf? A, uh, none of us are golfers, right? Cause we're environmentalists, a bogey, give them a bogey, whatever. Maybe I'll, I'll say this over again. They begged. <laughs> <laughs> They begged the Surface Transportation Board to have a do-over and to let them submit their paperwork a couple days late, right? At least they didn't say that the dog ate their homework, but it was pretty close. So you have to love it when the rich, high-powered attorneys just utterly bungle something. So karma was on our side on this one. So, <laughs> so, but but again, to to Alicia and Scott's point, this this was a ton of work and. Friends of the Eel River were the quarterback on our team that led us to victory here. So my deep appreciation to Alicia, to Scott, to Friends of the Eel River for for bringing us Enviros together in one coalition to fight this thing. And I'm sure that they would also like to thank Congressman Huffman, Senator McGuire for, for their good efforts as well. That's right. And I hate to be the one who turns around and tells you all that we still have a fight ahead of us. but that's the reality. We do. Mendocino Railway, who many locals here will know as the parent company of the skunk train, they are still skunking around. Is that is that a good way to phrase it? They are attempting to take 13 miles of this public right-of-way and use it supposedly to ship gravel, gravel that is already being trucked at not very frequent intervals. But really what we believe that they're after is is securing their status as a public utility. And that would allow them to evade permitting and environmental review requirements in their development work that they're that they're aiming to do over in Fort Bragg. So you know, they've got an ulterior motive here. They're not just trying to use a little bit less carbon in, in gravel shipping between Dos Rios and Willits. They're, they're really trying to secure something else for themselves. Would it be okay if I took a couple minutes to talk about the horror show that is the Fort Bragg situation? Yeah, please do. So there's a fascinating, if deeply disturbing, little backstory here to this issue of whether Mendocino Railway is in fact a utility, a real railroad, and thus a utility. And that's that Mendocino Railway cut a deal with the Georgia Pacific Company to acquire all of its properties around Fort Bragg, which is a very significant portion of Fort Bragg, the town of Fort Bragg, and areas that are, let's just say, environmentally impacted. 
And there's been a long process over the last couple of decades to try to figure out how to get those areas that were an old mill site where there's significant contamination, how to get those places cleaned up, how to get them into a place where they could be developed functionally. And instead of those things happening, Georgia Pacific sold the properties to Mendocino Railway for a song, and Mendocino Railway is pretending that because they are a, quote, railroad, they don't have to follow any environmental laws. They don't have to follow any permitting. So they're they're really playing this big game on the the city town of Fort Bragg, and it's it's a horrendous thing, and this is part of that story. And it's it's really a shame that this story is not better known across the North Coast. And I I, I think that we should do a whole episode on the stinking skunk train in the future. So if you are a Mendocino listener and you're involved in that effort, hit me up and we'll get you on the radio. So Let's let's talk about the other big thing that the Friends of the Eel River have been working on for years now, and that is the Potter Valley Project and dam removal on the eel. So let's let's do a brief recap of where we are. So PG&E owns these dams on the Eel River. The dams are not profitable for PG&E as a money-grubbing capitalist company that makes its earnings off of meeting essential needs for our community, PG&E. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Scott's no, shaking his head. No, and, and it, this is a really important misconception about PG&E. Our popular understanding is that the company makes its money by charging us to deliver electricity. That's not how they make money. They make money by getting a guaranteed rate of return on their capital investments. Okay. So well, there's some deep juju behind the fact that this company makes a ton of money by spending money on building things, but doesn't maintain them very much. <laughs> I see. I see. All right. So the Friends of the Eel River has also been hard at work on the Potter Valley Project and making sure that these damn dams on the Eel River come out so that we can once again have a free Eel River and get all of that salmon territory that once made the eel such a stronghold for our local salmon to, to free that back up again and get salmon back into the high headwaters of the eel river. So, and just because it's sometimes a point of confusion, I just want to give like a one minute breakdown of the plumbing that we have going on up there in the headwaters. Please so do. on the main stem of the eel river, Way, way south of where we are here around Humboldt Bay, way south of there, up in the headwaters of the Eel River, right on the edge of Mendocino National Forest, there are two dams on the main stem of the river, Scott Dam and Cape Horn Dam. The two dams are about 12 miles apart. Scott Dam is farther upstream. And then as you go downstream a little more, you come to Cape Horn Dam. At Cape Horn Dam, there's a diversion that sends water through a mile-long tunnel, through a mountain, into the Russian River watershed. So this project artificially connects two watersheds, in addition to blocking access to hundreds of miles of cold water habitat that's trapped behind Scott Dam. All right. Thank you for the plumbing breakdown. I will call you if my toilet overflows. Oh, please don't. All right. So so let's, let's again touch on on the relationship between FERC here. So these, these dams are licensed by the federal energy regulatory commission 
and PG&E wants to give up their license to operate the dams as a hydroelectric facility. And so this, this has, well, I guess, take it from there. Yeah. Well, they're, they're well down that path of getting rid of their license. They just a little while ago submitted a, what we're, what we're referring to as the plan to make a plan. They submitted a plan to begin their license surrender activities. It's a 30 month long plan, which, you know, those of us who are really antsy to see these dams removed and to see conditions improve for the salmon believe that that timeline is too long. We'll get into that later. But PG&E submitted this, this plan and FERC just approved it. So we are now in the license surrender process and we're going to be doing everything we can to get the company, PG&E, to move as quickly as they can to dam removal. So PG&E has their plan or, or is asking for time to create the plan for, for whatever the future of these dams are. Or the future without the dams. Or the future without the dams. Friends of the Eel River, what is your opinion on, on this timeline and what are you trying to do to speed up dam removal? Well, the bottom line is we think that where PG&E has asked for and gotten 30 months from FERC to prepare this surrender plan, just the beginning of the plan to actually prepare a decommissioning plan, we think they could do it in more like 22 months. So that's a, a good part of a year quicker, more quickly. And a lot of that is just that we don't believe that PG&E should take six months to hire consultants right at the outset. They've known this is coming for a long time, and they have plenty of resources. They can get this going right away. Having said that, the problem here is less about this plan period we have coming and more about the decommissioning plan. And what what is PG&E going to propose, and how are we going to get to a realistic plan to remove both these dams on the eel and get it done quickly. Candidly, what we have been seeing and hearing so far suggests that neither FERC nor PG&E has yet really taken on board the urgency that we see here in terms of the need to remove the dams before salmon and steelhead in the upper eel are really threatened with extinction, which is the case right now. We're still seeing default that the only legitimate solution here is going to be a consensus solution that brings all the stakeholders together. And this gets into a little bit of the, the turgid history of this project, but that's what folks have spent the last three years trying to do, was get a consensus solution together. pg refused to fund that. That's why we are here now. There will be no consensus solution. It's very clear that the Russian River interests don't want to pay for their water, that Lake County interests don't want to see Scott Dam removed. So we're really going to have to get to a place where the agency and the utility see the need to act without that big picture. Everybody's down for kumbaya because that's not going to happen here. Yeah. And I would add that that doesn't mean that there's not a way for water users to get what they want. They just need to step up to the plate and make it happen and and really do a little bit of thinking about like how much do they want to pay for this water? How much is it worth to them? And and then go ahead and take the steps to to pay for the needed infrastructure and 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 make it happen. But at this point, 
our job at Friends of the Eel, along with our allies at Caltrout and TU and Pacific Coast Federation of Fishermen's Alliances and the Round Valley Tribes and the Weot Tribe and all of the folks who really want to see these dams come down, our focus is going to be just on that and getting the dams down. Eco News Report, we're taking a little vacation. We're going out to the river, as people say here in Humboldt County, to the Eel River, to our favorite river here in Humboldt County. So I I know that y'all have a lawsuit pending, and we can't talk about that at the moment because things are still in the works. But I, I, I became aware of a letter that was sent from the National Marine Fisheries Service that kind of touches on the same theme of your lawsuit, and that is the impact of PG&E's operations on ESA-listed Endangered Species Act salmon. Scott, can you can you tell me a little bit about this? Yeah. That, so what you're talking about, Tom, are, are two 60-day notices that we've sent, notices of our intent to sue that we've sent to both the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and to PG&E. Those are slightly different theories because the Endangered Species Act works differently for government agencies and for private parties. But the root of both of those potential cases is the issue of continuing take which is to say harm to listed species at the Potter Valley Project dams and its associated fish ladder and works. Eco News Report, we're taking a little vacation. We're going out to the river, as people say here in Humboldt County, to the Eel River, to our favorite river here in Humboldt County. So what National Marine Fisheries Service, or NIMPS, said to FERC in a March letter that's really pretty significant is first the biological opinion that provides legal coverage for harm to listed species at the project expired with the project license in April. This is a big deal because it means technically there's no permit to harm endangered species that comes with the biological opinion. The other thing that NIMF says is basically even if you were to take the biological opinion as still being in effect, you, the project, that is to say, is is harming fish in ways that weren't anticipated by the biological opinion and go beyond its terms. So all of this says, one, the expert federal agency that knows about these things and whose business it is to be expert on them says take of fish is happening in various ways at the project and you don't have a permit for it. And I'll just interject here to remind listeners that take is a legal term associated with the Endangered Species Act and it means to harm, harass, kill, interfere with reproduction. Like there's a whole list of things that it means, but it basically means that you're messing with the listed species. Yeah. And preventing it from continuing to do its thing in terms of reproducing, migrating, and anything that will tend to drive a listed species toward extinction. And it's a pretty broad definition on the Federal Endangered Species Act. So we are very, very concerned about Chinook salmon, but even more concerned about steelhead at the project. And it's very clear that the numbers of fish are way down from even the low numbers we saw in the late 20th century. And the operations of the project combined with 
climate change are definitely causing real problems for those fish. And it's not just that Scott Dam blocks off a bunch of habitat. It's also how it affects the, the river below the dams. And while we're talking about nymphs and, and that habitat in the upper river, I, I know we've talked about this before on this show, but I just can't help but always bringing up a recent paper that was published by scientists from NIMPS. You can find it on our website. Shoot, you can email me, alicia at eelriver.org if you want a copy of this paper. It is it is so wonderful because it describes in relatively plain, clear language why that upper basin habitat is so wonderful. It's got cold water. It's got the right kinds of physical features that make it really ideal for juvenile juvenile rearing and and it's really the features that it has make it unique throughout the eel watershed and and particularly special and it's a huge amount of habitat too listeners who are familiar with other dam removal projects are probably accustomed to hearing celebrations of opening 15 miles of habitat or 40 miles of habitat we're talking about 280 miles of steelhead rearing habitat up there it's just the opportunity here really is significant, and we we can't understate that. I, I think the technical term is that that's a stupid amount of habitat that you're going to open up. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, so a couple of reflections from my end on this, as, as somebody who works with our wildlife agencies and who does work similar to but kind of different from Friends of the Eel at the same time. One to get a wildlife agency like the National Marine Fisheries Service, NIMS, to to put what they put in a letter means that this must be bad, right? Our, our wildlife agencies are very, very gun-shy about using the Endangered Species Act, uh, about actually trying to to push for, for, for better land management or water management here. It, it is kind of a third rail. And, and so for them to go out and to, to send this letter to PG&E, this behemoth, this inordinately powerful California corporation, that, that's outstanding, right? So I, I, I really want to emphasize just that when, when a letter like this comes out, that, that is like ringing the alarm bells loudly. So, so hear them clang, please. And I, I think that this also must complement the the kind of underlying legal theories behind your your lawsuit. I, I know that we're not going to talk about that. It's it's a it is the tender truck full of water. It's the truckloads full of ammo. It it is what we need. The supplies we need to bring the case. It's Let, let's use the Ukraine examples. They're the N laws, the HIMARS, the right. <laughs> and so I I think it's also worth noting the the. Surprising but not surprising way that PG&E responded eventually to this letter from NIMPS. And they essentially said, yeah, we don't really think you guys have the authority you think you do. And yeah, a lot of the way that I would summarize it is not appropriate to say on the radio. PG&E just basically really boldly challenged NIMPS's authority and sought to correct the factual record in several instances. As far as I can tell, they really cherry-picked some information and and made some bold outright lies. So I I look forward to challenging the company on on those claims. It was, it was kind of a see you in court letter. Yeah. 
I, I, I think that something that my legal training has taught me is that whenever somebody says that something is clearly erroneous or, or is very hyperbolic in their language or, or whatever, just as an indication that their argument is weak. So for, for pg to to write this letter, thou dost protest too much. I think that they, they see that they're probably on the hook for this. And uh, again, uh, another reflection as somebody who is not with Friends of the Eel River, but practices environmental law in a similar realm, is uh, to Alicia's or Scott's point from earlier, I forget who said it, that ultimately we, we can't make everybody happy with this, that there are disparate uses of the Eel River, disparate needs. To, to some extent, somebody will not like what is going to end up happening here with the resolution of this. Can I put a point on that, actually? Sure. This is actually something Alicia said really well the other day. But it the, the status quo, the way things are right now, is providing enormous benefits to Russian River interests, costing Eel River fish a price they cannot afford to pay. So to the extent things continue as they are now for years to come, that's putting your thumb on the scales. That's continuing to reinforce a system that is unfair and unjust and has been for a very, very long time. So, And, and as you said, the Russian River people like this unjust status quo. And the, the unfortunate thing for them is that they are running up against the Endangered Species Act, which is the, the bulldog of environmental laws, as it's famously been called. It is the strongest our best environmental law when appropriately applied. And so I, I, I personally can't imagine a situation given the factual situation, as I understand it, where these dams don't come out, where, where, where these sorts of harms are allowed to stand. And I think the NIMS letter is, is writing on the wall. And I hope that folks elsewhere can can see that writing and as Alicia said start to invest in the sort of solutions that they'll need for a post dam future. You know, I don't I think we're almost I think we've got enough content. I don't know, do we want to throw it on as like a by the way this variance has been approved? What I want to do is just talk about what it means going forward. Okay. So there's one other thing that just happened that really matters, which is that FERC finally after more than a month of delay, approved a variance that PG&E requested to the rules for how it operates the project, basically asking to change how it moves water from the eel to the Russian. And the reason that PG&E asked for this variance is both that, again, as has been the case for many of the last 10 years, we have less water than was assumed in the operational rules. The other reason, though, is that NIMPS said to PG&E, you need to change the way you're operating the project to cause less harm to listed fish. And the big thing you got to do is hold on to 30,000 acre-feet of water in the Lake Pillsbury Reservoir behind Scott Dam. Now, that's almost half the storage capacity left in the Lake Pillsbury Reservoir. And what that means, now that FERC has accepted that, and given the very high likelihood that we're going to see variances like this going forward, 
is that there's just a lot less water available for diversion to the Russian. And that is going to both, I think, reduce the incentive Russian River users have to insist that the project remain in place and accelerate their understanding of the need to to move. So uh, this is kind of a a wonky little detail, but it may well prove to be a, a very significant change as we look back. Well, and and really where we're at in this process right now, it's quite clear the dams are coming out, but what's not clear is how quickly it will happen. And that's really what we as dam removal advocates are after is trying to make it happen quickly. And, you know, I think if, if I were a water user in the Russian River side of things, I would also be wanting a resolution to the future of this project quickly. I would want to know as soon as possible if my water supply is going to be secure, if I'm going to need to figure out alternative options, if we need to be looking at pumping up water from Lake Mendocino. You know, if we like, I want to be considering the wide breadth of options out there, and and I want to not languish in like will they, won't they, make a decision kind of land. So. Again, it's really in everyone's best interest for this to move along quickly and and for us to have a clear vision of what the future is going to look like. All right. Well, I hope that clear vision is a vision of a dam-free eel river, and I'm excited to see that one day. Can I just say, when those dams are gone, it will be the longest free-flowing river in the entire state. Hot damn. Just just a cool thing to put on a bumper sticker, I guess. Yeah, that is a cool thing. I I mean, the the Smith River, deservedly, because I love the Smith River, gets so much cred as being, I I think it's currently the the largest undammed river in the state. The the Eel River is that much more impressive than the Smith when when these dams come out. So this is going to be fantastic. And thanks to Friends of the Eel River, to Alicia Heyman and Scott Greeson from Friends of the Eel River for joining the Eco News Report and for all their work in making this a reality. This has been another episode of the Eco News Report. Join us again on this time and channel next week for more environmental news from the North Coast of California.